I really had to hone in on having to find my self-confidence in terms of being mentally, mentally ready to endure what these people are about to tell me. And going to these casting offices at that time, it was very blunt. And they'd be like, hey, we already have a black boy signed. We really won't have use for you. Wow. And as a black male model, at that time, it was like almost like not even a thing. You can't let a no stop you from getting that next yes. This no is not your whole no. This no right that happens right now is not the, a reflection of your career going forward. If I would have let one of those no's stop me from my trajectory, then I wouldn't be the person you're talking to today. And I wouldn't be the person on the TV shows. I wouldn't be the person on the magazines. Like I wouldn't be in, in Ciara's music video. Or, and I damn sure wouldn't be in Ciara's music video. Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. My name's Patty Steinfurt, your host. And we have a special guest on today, a very unique background. He has been featured in Cosmopolitan, Italian GQ, Italian Vogue, French Vogue, Spanish Vogue, name the Vogue he's been in it. He has been the face of Ralph Lauren. He's walked in fashion shows in Milan and New York. Uh, he's one of the world's top models. He also has uh, side hustles in movies, TV series on HBO and NBC, music videos, a fascinating life. And we're going to peel back the layers of that. Welcome to the show, Broderick Hunter. Yo, what's up, you guys? Thank you, man. Patty, what an intro, bro. Thank you for that. Hey, I'm just reading what uh, what your agent gave me, and I was like, damn, where do, where do I stop? Because I actually left some stuff out there. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm very grateful, very grateful for the uh, the accomplishments and stuff. It hasn't come easy, but I'm, I'm every time, it's, it's funny, like nowadays when I'm like doing another interview or podcast, and they kind of just name little things that I forgot about. And right. I'm just like, sheesh, bro, that's crazy. <laughs> right. And, and we'll, we'll circle back. There's, there's more to get to there, but it's, of course. A, it's an incredibly unique story. And like you said, it hasn't come easy. It's even just that list, which I left off some things and we'll, we'll dig in on it. But <laughs> even just that list, it's pretty impressive for a kid who grew up in Rancho Cucamonga, California, yeah. right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Back in the day, if I was to ask, uh, you know, your family or the people you grew up around in that community, whether they saw Broderick Hunter as a future world-level model, what would what would the response have been? Uh, hell no, <laughs> <laughs> a hard pass. I was so focused on basketball back then, and people were more people saw me more going to a Division One basketball uh, to play Division One basketball over being anywhere on tv or in a magazine or uh even doing what anything i'm doing right now so it definitely became a surprise to me as i started advancing and doing more in in the realm of entertainment yeah and and that did actually like unfold for you a little bit like you had a, a dream of division one basketball playing in college if mm -hmm. i'm not wrong you got yourself a scholarship but it didn't quite yes. go as planned yeah i got hurt lost it <laughs> i got hurt twice in my career actually i kind of just put a put a, a hole a hole in the balloon uh it, it was uh it man just going back to that time I've, I've never i haven't really mentally been back there in a while uh just going back to that time was just it's just so crazy 2009 i was in florida i was having a, a great camp because i wasn't recruited at a high level in my high school career so i had to go to camp to get re-recruited and uh went to the camp did great got a few other offers and i finally got in i got attention from the school that i wanted university of central florida and then uh went to practice and got hurt again and they was like you know what sorry but we don't have the budget to keep you here so we're gonna have to send you home like fuck so that's kind of how that the basketball story went and then you know attempting to go to junior college and do all that kind of stuff but then that's kind of how i got segued into modeling so yeah, well, I mean, it, not not many of us can say there's there's plenty of people who've been injured trying to get into college ball, right? Yeah, not many of them can say you know I I was trying to scratch around doing JUCO and then all of a sudden I I fell into modeling and that's literally Some, what happened for you, right? Somehow I did a photo shoot. I don't know how. <laughs> I ended up on camera. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Like I'm curious. You're a, you're a better looking man than me, objectively, and. And Lies. Was, <laughs> thankfully, this is hopefully most people are just going to be audio of this. So it's, they, don't, they can believe you if you say that. Um, <laughs> but I was injured when I was about that age. It didn't end up in me being a model. So oh, how, how does that happen for you? 
Well, when I was in junior college, I was in, I was going to a junior college in my hometown. And then what really happened was uh, during my time in being in practice, a photographer by the name of Tyron Red, shout out to Tyron, uh, had DM'd me and said, hey, man, uh, you have a good look. I think you should get into fashion. And I was like, oh, nah, I'm good. <laughs> and then he was like, no, no, I really think you should actually try this. So I gave it like two weeks to kind of think about it. I'm like, okay, maybe I should do a photo shoot. Maybe I shouldn't talk to my girlfriend at the time about it. And she said, it could be another segue because right now I'll be, I mean, you're trying to play basketball. You're trying to do this. You're really trying to recover. It might be a good, a good way to, you know, just try something. Distraction even. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay. So I did the photo shoot uh, with Tyron and I got the pictures back and they, where I, they blew my mind. I was like, dang, that, that what I, that what I look like. <laughs> I was like, so I was like this old edited photo. So the pictures were really, really lovely pictures. So I was like, well, cool. I, I, you know, I decided to share them on Facebook just as a, as a joke because I was not, mind you, people knew me from being this elite basketball player. You know, I was throwing, I was dunking on six, 10 people. I was over here crossing, you know, I was, a ball player. So for me to come up out of nowhere in some orange shorts on a beach smiling is not necessarily <laughs> the trajectory where I was like, wait, hold on. That's not something I was expecting. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta, I gotta get my producers. I gotta get the people behind the scenes to track that photo down. We're gonna slice I'll send up. it to you personally. Perfect. I'll send it to, <laughs> I'll send it to you personally. <laughs> so uh, the photo, the photo drops, I, I posted on my, on my Facebook and then Bro, when I tell you, it was like a wildfire, like blogs and, and all kinds of stuff just started popping up. A, you know, a few, a few lower end agents were kind of reaching out and stuff like that. Hey, do you have representation? Do you, we can get you on this magazine, that magazine, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really believing all of it just because I was like, okay, look, this is all happening way too fast. Like I got to like pump the brakes. So about a year later, I actually started, well, six months later, I started taking it seri- more seriously. Okay, I'll, I'll do more photo shoots. And then by that next year was when uh, I started actually looking for representation. And then that's a whole completely different story because then that gets into understanding the racial biasness of the industry and uh, knowing that Black people in that industry weren't necessarily, at that time, it was like almost like not even a thing. Like mm-hmm. getting signed as a Black male model was like finding a hundred dollar bill at a bus stop. Right. So, and I, I haven't done that yet. I don't know if any of the listeners have, but that's, I haven't found a hundred dollar bill at a bus stop <laughs> yet. Yet. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll circle back to that. Cause that's a, that's a very interesting and, and very unique part and particularly relevant to the topic of the show. Some of the shit that you particularly have had to go through that's even over and above what most models deal with getting into the industry and making an ad. And I wanted to actually grab that bit because even just the concept of being a model, right? Mm-hmm. There, there would be plenty of people, as I say that out loud, who are like, what a life, right? What a life. You just mm-hmm. you turn up, you smile. Maybe you don't even smile. Maybe you just look mm. grumpy for a day and you get paid and that's great. Maybe. Right? <laughs> Maybe. Probably not. There's a little bit more that goes on behind the scenes. And, and I'm curious how much, like, I often will ask one of the questions that we ask all of our guests is, what does toughness mean in your industry, in your experience? And particularly because you went into high-level college sport and unfortunately it didn't work for you, or fortunately, probably, mm-hmm. if, you've, if yeah. you let it play More out. More fortunate right? than not. So mm-hmm. what you would see as in that, like you said, the, the basketball bubble where people have a specific definition of toughness, and then what does toughness mean in the world of being a professional model? Like how is that? How some people would be like, how is that even tough? Like, what, what's toughness look like in that in that world? Honestly, just the same way it is in sports. You, there's a mental toughness component that is always added to this industry and in life. You know, there's a physicality toughness where you're lifting weights, you're you're preparing your body physically to endure something. Same thing in life and in career. There's a mental aspect to it. So in modeling, especially. Uh, the mental aspect is the hardest thing outside of the physical aspect because you have to be in shape. You have to like, you know, they're not just, you know, casting guys just to like, you know, okay, looks okay. Like they want guys cut. They want guys in shape. So there's two sides to it. For me, the mental aspect of it was the hardest part was because it was trying to understand my self-worth 
and understand where I could fit into an industry that was not accepting of me and that did not want anybody that looks like me, acts like me, or talks like me. But they wanted it to a very small degree. So trying to fit, uh, it's trying to like trying to fit a basketball into well, not even a basketball. I said it's almost trying trying to fit a, a, a circle into a square. Basically, right. it's just you just don't fit in. So. I really had to hone in on having to find myself confidence in terms of being mentally, physically, mentally ready to endure what these people are about to tell me and going to these casting offices at that time, it was very blunt, like, Hey, we already have a black boy booked on this shoot. Please come again some other time. Or I'd go into, or I'd go into agencies and they'd be like, Hey, we already have a black boy signed. We really won't have use for you. Thank you for coming. They will literally tell you this to your face back then. So imagine you're going into a, you're in your realm, Patty. Imagine you're going somewhere where you're just trying to like look for a new opportunity. And they say, well, we already kind of have somebody that looks like you, talks like you, and is in your profession. Uh, we don't find use of you here. I don't really think you'll find use of anywhere here. You should try somewhere else because that's another thing that I got. Oh, you don't, you won't find what you're looking for here in LA, you should probably go to South Africa Mm -hmm. or you should probably go down to this place. We don't want you here. That's how blunt it was. So for me being new in the industry and uh, understanding that, Hey, I was in the gym, getting my body right, getting the, looking the very best I possibly could. There was another component that I completely wasn't, uh, was not familiar with. And that was the mental battle of having to block out the bullshit and having to block out these words and put love back into myself. Wow. That's like, that's an incredible, hard to imagine experience for anyone who hasn't faced it to that degree. And I, and I want to try and put some numbers or some like crystallize what you're talking about here, both from the, I want to, I want to, firstly, I want to bookmark tag the, let's come back to what it means to put love back into yourself. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I want to, if I forget it, tell me about it. But right now, while we're still on that, on that story and on that journey of, of discovery almost for you of like, that's actually what toughness means here. It's not just physically preparing, yeah. which we'll also put numbers on. But how many times were you rejected in that way where it was like, you know, I, I imagine that if I went and tried modeling and I would be unsuccessful, but there would be some responses where you're not what we're looking for, but not as specific mm-hmm. as you're mm-hmm. six foot six and white and we already have one of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, how many times estimate do, did you hear those words of we already have a black guy? See you later. Over 30 in the beginning of my because I went into I've sent emails to certain agencies and, I, and I've sent emails to certain managers and I've certain clients, you know, because at that time I was freelancing before I got represented. So I was just reaching out as broader Connor to these people and uh, a large part of the responses were, oh, we're already using a black guy. Oh, we already have a black guy on our board. Oh, sorry, this isn't really your market. Uh, so, yeah, I would say it was, it was, it was at, least, uh, at least 30 because you can imagine how many emails I sent. Of course, yeah. And, and this is 30 in the space of like how long? And these are, and these are just responses. We're not even right. counting the these, We're not even counting the, polite the enough. They were polite enough to come back and tell you to your face something. So they were polite enough to come back and tell me that. They could have just said, (laughs) oh, you know, thank you, but we're not interested. But no, they had to give me the whole whole spiel of... uh, of uh of, of of that and that was my, i wish i had my old what's email this address. what's this period of, yeah <laughs> i wish i had my fascinating what's Man, this period of time that we're talking about like 30, this is 30 times in how long 30 times in a matter of eight to nine months so this okay. has happened and like you said this is just the flat out uh race-based rejections mm-hmm. versus the other rejections and the non-replies right so mm-hmm. there's a tidal wave of no's and at what point during all of this are you like, no, I'm going to keep doing this? Like, how do you, how do you stomach that and just keep going when you don't have to? You, I mean, the thing about it is, Patty, when I was in basketball, you know, there's a certain level of, of mental toughness that comes to playing sports, especially when you're not on a winning team or uh, not on a, uh, not in favor of winning a championship and stuff like that. 
there's always going to be critics that are going to tell you, yeah, this team isn't really equipped to handle these people or this team can't do this or this player can't handle this player. And every single time when I stepped on a court, I was always out to prove anybody and everybody wrong. So going into my fashion career, I was always persevered that there's never a point in time where somebody can tell me something that I don't know about myself and that nobody can, nobody could tell me something that, that they think they, they see the potential in me or they see something in me that I don't see myself. So somebody could tell me, Oh, you don't have a look, you can't do this. But I know within myself, I'm like, Oh, I think I got something here. I'm, a, I'm just going to keep on, you know, just kind of figure it out because I was just trying to figure it out. I didn't have access to the right photographers yet, nor did I have access to agents and trying to, you know, I was still learning. So there was no reason for me to DQ myself so early if I knew that I was still in my, in, in my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, premature stages yeah. of learning, of learning this industry. So once I figured it out, once I knew I was going to figure it out, I knew it was going to be a done deal. It was just a matter of time. And is there a moment where you say, once I knew I was going to figure it out, is there a moment you're like, screw you, James Smith, sending me that <laughs> one. Like this is rejection number 29. Mm. I'm doubling down. Or was it just like gradually you just like, no, nope, I'm, I'm just sticking with it. I would say it was more gradually, but I really started to understand. I really started to know that I had something when I moved to Miami to, I was based in Miami as a young model back then. And I did not book a single job, but I was out there working at Eight Ounce Burger and catering. It's no longer called Eight Ounce Burger now. If you've ever been to Miami back in 2010, you remember Eight Ounce Burger, by, right by the Mondrian. I used to be a bar, uh, a bar um, back there, and I also used to be a busser and a waiter. And I was also, I was also a janitor. This is it's a whole story, bro. It's crazy. When I was living in Miami as a model, so I started seeing the models that were getting booked for certain things, and I was like, dang. I've, I know I not, not to say I had something better than them or I, I was better, but I knew I had something more to offer than what these guys were bringing to the table. So when I started seeing these guys getting on these castings and all these jobs, all I, I just knew that I was like, okay, when my time comes, I'm going to blow this out the water. All I need is one. And sure enough, uh, my one came when I started, when I, uh, I had shot for Vogue magazine with Bruce Weber and Bruce Weber at that time was one of the top photographers ever. He shot Tyson Beckford for Polo. He shot, uh, Abercrombie and Fitch, you name it. Back then Bruce Weber was the absolute key to like getting, um, somewhere. And he said, yes, he's like, yo, I want him in Vogue. And I was like, okay, here's my moment. So I got my Vogue shot, uh, in Miami. One of my only things that I did that time and that, uh, with that, it was it became more of a, a snowball effect into mm. a few other things. Still a little hiccups along the way, but it was a great cosign for me to say, okay, I know I have something, and I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. Yeah. So let me grab that. I'm I'm I keep delaying all the other things I want to circle back to, <laughs> but I'm gonna take that one moment because a lot of the people who come on this show as guests and a lot of the people who listen uh, are particularly there because they can handle a moment mm -hmm. right the audition for this part in a comedy that actually ends up being one of the biggest comedy films of 10 years and and you have a gold medal on the line as you're sitting at the top of a run and you're able to settle into the moment and do your thing this is your one like this is vogue and it's the photographer who's gonna show you show the best side of you to the world and mm -hmm. begin that snowball. So you know walking in, there's a little bit riding on this, right? Yeah, of course. And back then, you know, with social media now, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot more content being shared, like, you know, through platforms, through digital, through digital. There's more room. The only way back then to get into Vogue was to be in the magazine. You mm -hmm. had to make the cut. They they took like hundreds upon hundreds, possibly close to thousands of photos and it would have to go through a long period of, of approval because it wasn't just myself that was featured in the, in the, in the, in the spread. It was a, it was a few of us. I was just the only black boy that was featured. So out of all these photos, they had the decision to make, okay, who's, who's going to be involved in these shots. So to be featured into that at that time was like, yo, God is good because it gave me that, that that light that I was waiting for to say, okay, I hope I have this because 
just booking the shoot was one thing to be actually featured. That was definitely like, okay, we're, we're getting somewhere here. So yeah. if Bruce Weber at that time saw something, then I was like, okay, I can definitely do some more. And sure right. enough, I did. And, and as you go into that session, you knew you were being featured before the shoot or after? I knew I was being shot for it. I didn't okay. know I was being featured. So, so you, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you've got, so in order to be featured, you want to be as good as you can on camera and put you put shit out there. Right mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm pretty awkward when it comes to taking photos. I don't know about everyone else who's listening. And when someone <laughs> tells me to smile or stand a certain way, there's an innate, like, uh, I can't like, I, I can't do that. I'm not good at pretending. If I don't feel like smiling, <laughs> I'm not smiling. Uh, right. And if I feel happy, I'm not frowning. Like, I, I can't do that. How do you get yourself into a place where you're not awkward in front of a camera? Or has this always been a thing for you? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's just a mental exercise. You get more comfortable over time. But uh, I, with, with me, I was so determined and focused to nail everything because I was already studying so hard on the, on the people that were being used, what was being shot, how are they being shot. I would always try to test myself in front of my camera. You know, I was very studi- I was very studious because I wasn't being shot. I, w- I wasn't booking jobs. So the only way I could prepare myself to book these jobs and to be on the set and kill these shots was to privately invest in the time to make sure my angles are right. You know, uh, you know, working on different emotions, different things with my eyes to uh to just make sure every shot they took it landed because as a black boy back then there was no margin for error you could not even you couldn't even god forbid you spilt coffee on set they probably never bring you back <laughs> you know it's it's that's, that's it's, it was a very tight rope for black boys back then and i'm gr- i'm very grateful that things have changed now to where there's more room for black models but it was a it was it was a very tight rope to walk so and this wasn't to, this wasn't the same for like because you talked about being rejected by the we already have a black boy yeah but that it wasn't like they only had one Caucasian boy and one Asian boy like this was very oh, specific to to you this is this was very specific to ethnic models especially black models back then I'm sure Asian uh, models went through a a degree of of this, of what I'm talking about, limiting the, yeah. the limited, dis, you know, discrimination stuff like that. It was very, it's, the industry was very, very fickle, and mm-hmm. it's, and you know, over the over the course of time since like 2018 with the Me Too movement, the door has opened up from for change. And I'm so happy to see that. But back then, who you had no war, no margin, no for room error. for error. And so yeah, tell so me, look, like scaling a little bit more or crystallizing that, you it's really interesting to hear the attention to detail you put in behind the scenes. No one's watching. You're doing your own shoot. You're trying to teach yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Purely yeah. through practice. And I, and we yep. talk occasionally on this show about the 10,000 hour rule of like people get really good by just doing a shitload of what they mm-hmm. do. Yep. Like how many hours would you have done of that while you're in Miami, not booking work? How much of your own shit did you do? Well, to give you, okay. So can I, can I map out my day for you? Go right ahead. Okay. So, uh, Monday morning, I would wake up, uh, it'd be 7 a.m., and I'd have to walk, not cab, but walk to 8-Ounce Burger because I couldn't afford a cab. I walked to 8-Ounce Burger. It was about a two-mile two two mile walk. Walk up there. Uh, we'd open. Uh, I'd get, it'd take me like 45 minutes to get there, so we'd open at about 8 o'clock. When, uh, oh, the, the doors were for us open at 8 o'clock because we have to prep. So, um, the, we prepped for two and a half hours. Then, uh, my day was the actual, my time would start there at around 10 o'clock. So 10 o'clock comes in. I work from 10 to five. So from 10 to five, I'd be working at eight ounce stuff like that, doing all, uh, doing the bar backing, uh, sweeping, uh, dishes, all kinds of stuff, just because I needed to make extra money. Five o'clock would end after five o'clock. I would go to uh, the high school I used to janitor at. I janitored under the table under this guy that couldn't um, do it anymore because he was uh, he was just a little older and he kind of just needed some help. So uh, I had re- he I had a, a connection. I forgot how I connected with him, but he was talking about he just like you know how to he needed this, he needed people for a side hustle and it was janitor. So I said okay, you know I'll do the janitor work at the high school. So at the high school under the table, I would clean up the classrooms, take out the trash, do all the stuff that he wasn't able to do to make a couple extra bucks after work. So after that, 
Um, uh, after about after, after five o'clock, I would be at the school from like six to about eight thirty. Eight thirty, I would go home, uh, go back to my 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 apartment that I was at. The Miles apartment at that time was like right down the street. I'd go back to the apartment complex, and then uh, I would just literally go through magazines, 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 magazines. I would look at some of the runway shows that were that were uh, taped for fashion week and stuff like that, because that's, that's back when they were still filming runway shows. So I was working on my walk. I was studying photographs. I was seeing who's been shooting what, uh, till about 12 o'clock at night, 12 midnight. So from seven to 12 midnight, uh, I'd fall back asleep. Uh, then I'd wake back up at 7 AM again and do it all over again. And that was, and that was for four months, four, four or five months straight. Yeah. Until, and, and then on top of that, I, all that money I made from doing the, um, the, the eight ounce burger work and the uh, janitor work, I was able to save a little bit of money to buy my ticket to Milan to uh, do Milan Fashion Week. And that's when I booked the C, then that's when I booked the D squared fashion show. And then Sierra was at the, the was saw the fashion show. And that's how I booked the Sierra video. Wow. That is, I mean, <laughs> that really accelerated towards the end there, that, that, uh, yeah. that story. Well, just, yeah, just, well, and then Milan is a whole different story. Like Milan was a whole different, so that's a thing. Like, so you I bought your own ticket. You weren't booked when you went. You just yeah, turned I'm up and booked. said, Hey, someone who, who needs a model. I know. Well, I had, I had a representation out there. They invited me to come out there, but they did not, uh, they weren't covering my flights and stuff. Cause I, cause I, they just said, Hey, yo guys, fashion week is here. If you guys want to come and go to castings, come to go to castings. I went to, seven different castings, uh, all knows, uh, I had got a yes from Versace and then they dropped me for a white boy. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then, uh, I had crashed a D squared casting and then D squared released me and said, Hey, we like him, but he's not right. Then they put me back on option. And then they said, Hey, yo, actually we're going to book him for the show. So I booked the show. It was Milan was a whole different story, like similar to eight ounce burger in Miami and janitor. Milan was a whole different, a, a whole, a whole similar thing, but we'll, we'll say that for a later day, but yeah, uh, <laughs> everything's a, ter- everything's a, a huge, uh, ball of craziness. Yeah. It sounds like it. It sounds like, it. I mean, that, that even just that four or five months that you mentioned in Miami of doing it every night, I, one of my favorite lines from a Kanye West song is where he says doing five beats a day for three summers. Like he literally just would go to his basement every night and mix music just, and cut. Right. Yep. And it's an undervalued part of him becoming a guy who basically shifted an entire music industry because he forced himself to culture. do the work. He did the work. Mm-hmm. And, and yep. you've, even if you didn't get work, you did the work. That's really interesting. Did the work. Yep. Um, so while we're on work, a lot of listeners are probably more familiar with the work of doing, not modeling, but of at least at the very least working out, trying to keep mm-hmm. fit. Yeah. Um, what, is the, what does that work look like for you these days? How, how much time do you have to put in keeping your body in shape, in, in the, not just in shape, but in the type of shape that will keep you on the contracts that you're on? Oh, well, I mean, I definitely have a trainer now. I'm about to be 30. You, you, I used to, when I, in my early 20s, mid-20s, you could eat bullshit, still keep your figure. <laughs> uh-huh. Nah, not anymore. So um, I have a, a very good uh, trainer now, and uh, I just mainly focus on my upper body and abs because my legs get bigger. So in, in fashion, right. they don't want – yeah, they don't want you to like like, – I don't want athlete legs. Yeah, they can't. They can't. I mean, my brand has changed where it's kind of like fluctuable now. And I'm more of a brand now to where I'm not used as a model. I'm more so used as a brand and celebrity. So even within that, they still want things to look a certain way. So mm-hmm. I have to avoid playing basketball and I have to avoid doing di- different little uh, things that I would like to do. So uh, I just mainly focus on like abs, like planks, push ups uh burpees are really good too and uh mainly thing i focus on is my health when i'm what i'm putting in my body so i eat a lot of greens drink a lot of water i try to stay away from sodas and sugars and stuff and uh cardio is always a main thing even though i hate it <laughs> hate so, cardio with a passion <laughs> i'm always worried about people who love cardio because it it's definitely not You're, one of my passions who actually like i mean i see people who actually go on there runs, are people but who there i know and that's i'm like i look at them sometimes like how can you enjoy running 
<laughs> you know, the one time I enjoyed running is I, I had been, I had a knee injury and I was out for like 11 months. And I wasn't oh. someone, the doctor told me at one point I may not run ever again. So oh, that first no, run was the, like, then I'm like going. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done the same thing, man. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think everyone has their own flavors with uh, exercise the same way with food, right? That's the way I explain it to myself. And yeah. So you, you mentioned the, the trainer there. And we know mm-hmm. a lot of people who come on here, Olympic medalists, um, millionaire traders, uh, you name it. When they're working at the top end of their field, they often haven't gotten there by themselves. They might have started the journey by themselves, but as you get along and you get representation and as you start to find your way, did you have uh, a mentor or, you know, are there there people you look at and you're like, I wouldn't be where I am now without that person or those people? Yes, there's a a very, very prime group of lists uh, of people that have been in my life, in my career, that I would not be where I'm at at all if it wasn't for them. And one of those people, he's no longer with us, his name is Michael Maddox. He was my first agent that got me signed into into LA agencies and Miami agency. So he was my very, very first uh, person that stepped into my career that actually knew the industry, knew the ins and outs and plugged me into these certain places. Uh, God rest his soul. But yeah, Michael Max was a great, uh, a great additive. Uh, my other, um, I had a great mentor in New York at the time. His name was Dallas J. Logan. He was a photographer. He still is a photographer still to this day. And he basically took me under his wing and gave me uh, a roof over my head when I was in New York, grinding it out. And he became like my, 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 my uncle back then. So uh, Dallas Logan was a huge part of my, uh, of my growth. And then also just uh, the, the peers and, and people that I've met along the way, like, you know, you know, Christopher Holland, my current brand manager, you know, Chris is like my big brother and he's always had my best interest. So, uh, I, I, my hat goes off to Chris always because he came from the same type of background I came from just trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And when we, when, when we started working together, we started figuring it out together as well. So now he's blowing up with Doug Holland. He's got other clients and stuff. And my parents, of course, man, my parents just, they, I, they invested all this time and money in me to play basketball. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden like, Hey guys, I got a photo shoot to do. You, not, you mind, you mind sparing some change for a plane ticket? <laughs> How was that? How was that? Let's, let's talk about that. Jeez, uh, man. I remember when uh, my mom, I never told, I think about it is I never told my parents that I was going into fashion. I kind of just did it the whole time. Wait, wait, time out, time out. I know. Mom's walking the aisle at the grocery store. She sees you in Vogue and she's like, wait, that looks like my Something son. like that. It's <laughs> something like that. The, the, real, the real way the story goes, uh, when I was doing fashion, when I started my, the first photo shoot I had with Tyron Red, I posted it to my Facebook. And at that time, my mom didn't my mom didn't have a Facebook. Okay, so she didn't. Then twenty not two thousand nine, twenty ten. My mom wasn't on Facebook. Uh, Facebook back then wasn't the Facebook of today. When you mm-hmm. posted on Facebook, it was only to your friends. Nobody else outside of your friends would see these posts because they were not your friend. Somebody, one of my friends got a whiff of my photos on, on, on my Facebook, shared them with, oh, hey, look at my friend Broderick's pictures on, Instagram, on Facebook. Oh, my God, that's cool. I know his mama. The mom, <laughs> the, uh, one of the, the mom of my friend showed my mom the pictures. And my mom was like, so confused. Like, wait, what? What is that? Wait. Oh, wait, huh? <laughs> so out of nowhere, uh, my mama, my mom came into my room and she had asked me, she was like, hey, how's school going? My like, school's going good. You know, it's like, how's practice and stuff? I'm like, yeah, practice is cool. The guys are good. You know, I'm just working. Out. Yeah, okay, okay. Any, anything new going on? And I'm like, no, nah, nothing new. Everything's pretty chill. Okay, okay. Well, you keep up the good work. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I, I didn't tell her. So then um, I had overheard her talking one day and then she calls me over and then she pulls up some of the photos that she saw. And they weren't raunchy photos. I'll, I'll send you the photos. They were, they were very tasteful photos. They were just like, they were swimming suit shit. So she asked me, it's like, hey, like, what is this? Like, what's, is it, this is, these are very beautiful photos. What's going on? I was like, you know, my photographer reached out. I had said uh, I wasn't going to like go for it, but I kind of did it and I liked them. So I just posted them. And, you know, now we're just like, okay, cool, well, 
this is great. Have you told your dad? And I was like, no, <laughs> my, my dad's a parole officer. <laughs> he was a parole officer back then. So he, he's, he's retired now. And um, he, uh, he's, just, he's a 6'5", 250-pound black man. And I was just like, sheesh, I don't know. if I don't even know if I, if I want to tell my dad about this new venture. Because I, I didn't know about my new venture. I didn't know I was going to you know, be going off. I just shared some photos. So when uh, the way I told my dad, my mom had briefed him on, because my mom can't hold water. My mom had briefed him on like, a few <laughs> of the photos and stuff. Uh, I had brought home. So here's 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 how I really broke the news to them about how I started modeling. I had brought home my first magazine cover for On Fitness. It was in the grocery store. I picked it up and I said, um, "Hey guys, take a look at this." So I slammed down the magazine. I was like, "Yeah, guys, look at this." They literally did not even make like not a bat of an eye. Just literally just went. And continue watching TV. Continue watching TV. And I got so pissed. And I was like, what the, like, what? Like, I'm making something of myself here. Like, I found a new avenue. Like, I did this. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm over here making success. Like, what the, like, you, and you guys aren't proud? Like, what are you guys talking about? My dad said, how are you, how do you expect us to celebrate something with you that you didn't let us in on? Oh, that hits. And I immediately, because they were absolutely right, I didn't let them in on it. I didn't invite them on this new journey. So from then point on, after I gave them an apology, I was like, you know what? You guys are right. They're like, we're, this is great, but you can't, you, you can't ask, ask us to sit at a table without pulling out a chair for us. So from that point on, I let them in on, on everything in my career. And from then on, they were very supportive and extremely um, generous with their time and their efforts to, you know, see me through this new avenue. So that was a big lesson for me. That was a very big point. It's cool. It's the sort of thing you might be like, I wish I learned the lesson a different way, but sometimes if you don't learn it that way, you won't learn it, right? Exactly, exactly. I think that's, that's one, you talk about a lesson you learned there the hard way. And given what you've described as your pathway through the industry in the days back when they could answer you like they did to where it is now. And you say it's opened up. Like, do you find yourself being a little bit of a mentor to some guys who are starting out because of your experiences and your position? 1000%, 1000%. I, I always extend a helping hand to anybody uh, that either comes up to me or, you know, I get swamped with DMs from time to time, but if I'm able to respond to somebody, I'm always available and willing to give an assistance because that was the one thing that I wish I had when I was getting started. I didn't have a lot of, a lot of guys that I looked up to that were willing to give me valid advice or even, uh, or even just acknowledgement from some of the top supermodels that I was around at the time that I could have used that from. And then they, they just, it was just, they were, it was, they were just very selfish, selfish with the information and a large part of them were black men, unfortunately. Uh, the white guys were giving me more information about the industry than the black guys were. And that kind of made me feel some type of way. Because I was like, okay, if we're kin, and if we are in this, as you guys say, like, you know, you know, one gets in, we all get in, then why, why am I the one being shut out? You know, so uh, that really kind of bothered me in my early stages of my career. And I just made it a point to never do that to yeah. the uh the younger black generation that's coming up younger black and younger models in general especially young black models that were trying to come into the industry today and they're trying to make a name for themselves yeah and, and you mentioned there the advice that you did get from some parts perhaps not the people you wanted but now you're in a position to do that yes um, one thousand what what are, what's some of the advice that you give that you're like oh, i wish kind of like you learned the hard way by leaving your parents out. What are some other things that you've discovered along the journey? Like, I wish I knew that when I was 22 instead of 30. When it comes down to that kind of stuff is more life advice. It's, it's more life, like life driven because in the industry, the industry is forever changing. Life is forever giving us 
they're reoccurring lessons. Until you get the lesson, life is always going to throw you these lessons, whether it's in relationships, business, uh, being a good person, whatever. Life is continuously throwing us these little nuggets that we have to get to, to advance to the next life or to the next level. And when it came down to industry, uh, the advice I would give to the younger generation is to just stay on course, really. The, the, this no is not your whole no. This no right that happens right now is not the, a reflection of your career going forward. Because if I would have listened to my first no, and, I, and, and I, you know, I told you about those messages that I got in emails or in person going to uh, agents and casting directors, if I would have let one of those no's stop me from my trajectory, then I wouldn't be the person you're talking to today. And I wouldn't be the person on the TV shows. I wouldn't be the person on the magazines. I wouldn't be the, the person at these success I talks. Be in, in Ciara's music video. And I damn sure wouldn't be in Ciara's music video. That was great. <laughs> so I, you, can't let, you, can't let, you can't let a no stop you from getting that next yes. Because there's always going to be no's. There's always going to be, there's going to be yeses too. So take the no's with the yeses and keep going. And another piece of advice that I would say uh, to people is just to work to to, uh, to don't work out or in. Don't want these things out here and then work on yourself as a secondary. The, the, the main thing you want to do is be a good person. Do the self work first and then it will reflect in your outer work. You know, so like a lot of times you'll meet people who are really great at what they do and they're amazing at their craft, all kinds of stuff, but they are not good people. And it takes away from that. It's like, yo, they're good at what they do, but they're an asshole. I'd rather meet somebody who's not that good at what they do, but they're a very nice person. Because guess what? We can always get better at what we do over time. But if you're not a good person first, that completely takes away from any opportunity that people, if people don't want to be around you, then, then it's, there's no point of even wanting to associate. So I would say focus on the values of, your, of being a good person uh, as, a, as a first hand. You called that inner work there, right? And yep. some, some of the people who are, who are in um, sport would refer to this thing as the inner game. It's the, the battles that go on inside yourself. You, I'm going to circle back now to one of the things I bookmarked right at the start of the chat of like you said something about putting love inside yourself. I can't remember if those are your exact words. Yeah. Part of trying to maintain your confidence in, in the face of no's or trying to make sure that you were still, like you said, staying on course and not worrying about other people's validation. Mm-hmm. What, is that what you're referring to when you say the inner work? When I, yeah, well, when I say the inner work, it's an accumulation of all that, including that. When I say inner work, I mean the things that you, that there's a craft on the outside and there's a craft on the inside. There's certain things that we are all saying, damn, I'm trying to stop doing that. Or, hey, I've got to tighten this up a little bit. Could be anything. But when I say inner work, it's putting that energy and that sacrifice and that love into yourself to know that these are certain things that matter the most to us as a, as a person. You have to be able to have something to identify with yourself to grow and be a better person and i don't know what that is with you i know what it is with me but if you're able to identify with what it is that you think that you could be a better at as a person and you're continuously putting effort into that every single day then to me that means that you're doing the self that means you love yourself enough to be better you know you don't you don't tolerate like let's say bad you know we all like nice we all like nice things when you're going out and you, you can go out and buy a car, you're not settling. You're not like, oh, yeah, this will do. No, like um, if, I'm able, if I'm going out with, to, to get something that I want, I'm, 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 I'm not leaving the lot with anything that I'm not happy with. So why would, I, why would I walk out the house every day not happy with the person that I am and not happy with how I'm treating people and not understanding the importance of what it takes to actually walk around this world that we're in to be a good person. So mm-hmm. it starts with that and the, the knowledge and the love that you respect for yourself. So you can give that to the outer. It really, really cool. Um, uh, reflection of a, a quote that Will Smith, as he started to transition to Instagram and become refamous, he, mm-hmm. he, he had a little monologue that, uh, that really hit me when he was talking about the value of self-discipline. 
and of yeah. being true to yourself and saying, here's what, here's what you got to do and you can't bend on those standards because self-discipline is self-love. Yes. Why would, you, why would you feed your future self bad shit if, like, you clearly don't love yourself. You're not doing the right thing by yourself. And I, I thought that, like, what you just described there is that in more words. And, and in particular, if you're comfortable with it, like, often I will work with um, an elite performer and we'll actually get down to that level of what are your non-negotiables? What are the mm-hmm. things you know that you have to do? Not, not that you have to think. Like, these are the actions you do and these are the things you pay attention to that are totally in your control and that will come back to add value to your life because then it becomes like, well, if that's what they are, why the fuck would you ever not do them? You shouldn't negotiate on that stuff, right? Yep. And what you've just described there kind of reminds me of that, right? It's what it sounded like as you were describing it. What what would be one example of that for you? For me? Um, One example of that for me, sheesh. So many different ones, but I'm going to honestly say one example for that with me, with myself would be my tone and how um, how I how I talk to people because sometimes I in my in my best of abilities I would come from a place of love, but sometimes when I get real passionate about something and I get really into something with when I'm talking to somebody about something, it can come across as a as a little threatening or a little condescending. And with, with the undertone of, of how I'm saying something. So I had to practice on observing how I talk to people, even mm. though I know in my heart it's coming from a good place, how it translates can be completely different. So understanding communication, because in communication, it's, it's, we're all just giving out energy to one another. When we communicate with one another, we're literally giving a part of our energy to someone else. And however we intend to give it, it doesn't matter how it's received is, is how it's received. And there's no going back from that. So honing in on my communication and how I talk to people has been a very big growth for me and a very big change for me. So that's one thing I would say that I have definitely honed in on uh, in terms of changing my personal self outside of a few other things. That's a great example. And it's, a, it's one that is often neglected in the world of high performance working at, working at the peak because like you said before, people can get away with being assholes sometimes, but oh god, yeah, it it is tough. And the other part, often it's neglected because it's really hard. It's hard to change some of those things, right? Um, yeah. How long have you been working on that for? Man, uh, I mean, sheesh. honestly, it was it was brought to my attention when I was like twenty four. Uh, when I was twenty four, I'll be I'll be thirty soon. So it's been a consistent it's been a consistent process, and I've gotten a lot better with it. With, uh, with my friends, my families and all that, they've seen my growth, but and it's a never ending. It's something that's a never ending mm. thing. We always have, anytime we observe something, we always have to stay on top of it because we can just like how something uh, gets better. We can easily fold back into it. You know, when you work out two times, a, two times a day for three weeks straight, if you go six months without doing a single workout, guess what? What you look like from those two days <laughs> for those six weeks is not going to reflect on where you are if you take if you take six months off. So it's a consistent work process that I've uh, made uh, very prominent to always hone in on that among uh, along with um, you know just just even eating better and just little little stuff. I'm always you know there's little things that we're always trying to do better, but I know my tone for one is something that I'm always consistently working on. Yeah. Like great analogy of like just like your body if you don't use it or lose it right yeah, pretty and, much and it's, and it's a constant uh, a constant battle man really appreciate you sharing your story with us and and uh and often we'll, we'll wrap it up with a bit of a final question partly about like if people want to find you and learn more about your story and follow you mm-hmm. where do they find you but we'll get to that in a second firstly like i'm curious given that you've scaled heights that a kid from rancho cucamonga could barely imagine uh and you're doing amazing work in a number of different fields now like what what do you hope for the future both in terms of your craft but perhaps also for your inner craft or for some of those people that you're helping come along behind you what's a, what's what's some hope for the future my hope for the future is i i don't really plan too much on being in front of the camera a lot some people really 
push for that. I don't plan on being in front of the camera too much. I've been looking at myself for so long. I'm tired of it. (laughs) (laughs) So I plan, I don't plan on being in in front of the camera too much. I'm definitely going to be merging more behind the scenes with directing and writing and I'm studying in that as well. I also plan on doing more public speaking. You know, I'm taking a lot of speech classes right now to just share my story, but also I've really found that a lot of people have dealt with what I've dealt with in their life and in, in different ways. So I just plan on kind of just working more or less in entertainment and more or less and more and more so in life, you know, more like life speaking, different, you know, mentoring programs. I have uh, my charity right now. It's called Free to Joy, where uh, we're developing uh, uh, programs that give the inner city youth uh, free mental health help. So, you know, like free, free therapy, psychiatry, you get to talk to people because I feel like it, it starts with the youth with us. It starts with the, these kids right now. These are going to be our future leaders, our future people that are going to work in engineering, the, the, the forefront of the new phones and the new technology, all these new things. These, are the, these, are the, these kids right now are the ones that are going to be the reflection of that. So I feel like it's very important to invest in that. So that's where I'm really focusing on right now, especially is my Free to Joy campaign. And um, just really uh, continuing to just kind of just be an example to the newer generation of celebrities and people and, and public figures on how they should be giving back over just sharing their work and talking about their work. I feel like, you know, we, it gets, gets to a point where you should open up and share more about yourself, about what you learned and how you can be an asset to the people to come. Very cool, man. If people want to find your work, clearly they can look in uh, a bunch of the magazines that, that we mentioned, but in terms of tracking you down social media wise, what's your Instagram handle or anything else they want that, that they can find you on? <laughs> if you want to learn how to cut your own hair, some skincare stuff, some skincare stuff, self care stuff, you can go to my YouTube channel, uh, Broderick Hunter Jr. Uh, YouTube.com slash Broderick Hunter Jr. It's all self care with Broad. I have a, a variety of different self care hacks, uh, haircuts, tutorials all kinds of things on my channel. I also have a few interviews on there as well from um, stuff I've did in the past where you know, little information nuggets, very fun to watch. And uh, on my Instagram, you can find me at Broderick Hunter and that there, there you'll see all the pictures and videos, latest campaigns and stuff. And if you really want to get a sense of my personality and who I am and really interact with me, then you definitely want to follow me on Twitter, which is at Broderick Hunter as well. And I really enjoy conversing with fans and chiming in, sharing jokes. And, you know, I feel like that's more of a, a personalized community that I've built over there. So nice. I, I enjoy my Twitter more than anything. All right. No, I appreciate you sharing that with us. We've had a couple of guests who gave out their Gmail and I was like, whoa, that is ballsy. <sighs> now, I'm great. not expecting you to do that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm not even doing jump, that. Jump, jump. my show. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, thank you very much for joining us, brother. It's been an awesome chat. Good luck with the project coming up in, uh, in the near future and moving forward. Um, always great to chat. Oh, thank you guys. Oh, yeah, and be on the lookout for the new movies, uh, California Love and B-Boy Blues coming out. Uh, also, Black Lady Sketch Show Season 2 coming out uh, next year as well. Uh, so, yeah, guys, thank you. Oh, a lot <laughs> coming up. We're going to link to all of those projects below as well, but uh, appreciate you being here, brother. All the best, man. Excellent, bustin' with the best of them, simply impressive, no worries.